1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter about love. It's hard to exhaust. There's so much in here. In the Bible, there are hundreds of commandments, but God narrows them down to what we know to be the Ten Commandments. But he narrows down the commandments even further to this thing of loving others as we do ourselves. Loving God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Love is the fulfilling of the law. That is exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has to say. And for thousands of years now, it has challenged people. It has challenged Christians. It has encouraged folks by the millions. And so we're going to take a brief look at it here today in the next few moments. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. We are currently in a series at this hour in 1 Thessalonians, but um, we're going to take a, a break from it actually this morning and next Sunday as we did last Sunday. And In fact, I had a message totally done on, on the next few, few verses in 1 Thessalonians 1. And last night, the, uh, the Lord changed my mind, something I'd been thinking about all week. So we're going to turn instead to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is known in the Bible as the love chapter. I'm going to talk about love today and actually uh, in the next message later on today. And specifically going to be talking about a revival of love. A revival of love. Here in 1 Corinthians 13, we begin in verse 1. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, that's another word for love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity or love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity or love never faileth. And then we skip down to verse 13. And now abideth faith hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is love. We're going to be talking today and later on today about a rekindled love or a revival of love. But let's pray first, shall we? Father, we thank you now for this love chapter in thy word. We thank you for the golden nuggets that can be mined out of it and certainly would take a month of Sundays to extract all the truth out of this powerful chapter. Help us now as we look at just a few things throughout the day. And Father, I just pray that you would give to us 
that which we lack and that which we need. And Father, if it be love, may it be rekindled in our hearts. May it be revived. We need your help. It cannot help him without thee. And Father, we just pray you'd bring it to pass. And we ask it all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I uh, think one of the greatest stories in all of history of, of endurance and survival is that of Sir Ernest Shackleton. He was an Englishman. He lived back around uh, World War I. And really, his exploits to the Antarctic were overshadowed, of course, by the war that was going on at that time. But, but Shackleton really was in dire straits, him and his men. He had dozens of men with him down there, and they were exploring the Antarctic, and their ship was crushed in the ice there. And so there they are marooned at the bottom of the world and, and, and no way out, and, and everybody thinks they've, they've perished and they're dead. And, and, and he is determined to do everything in his power to get every single man back to civilization. Well, it did get desperate. In fact, at one point, they were down to their last biscuit. And, and Shackleton tells the story latest, later on of their most dire strait that they were in. And he said, we were down to every man having one biscuit. We had rationed them out and they'd put them in their biscuit bag. And, and they'd gone to bed and, and an hour or two had passed. He was sleeping apart from the rest of the men and kind of had a view back at them. And he said about uh, one or two in the morning, somebody started stirring and looked around in a stealthily way and wondered if everybody was sleeping. And when one of his men had... Uh, kind of gotten assurance everybody was, got out of his bed and went over to his, his fellow mate's uh, biscuit bag and picked it up. And Shackleton's heart just sunk. That was one of his most trusted men. He'd have trusted his life with that man. But now the, the dire straits they were in had, had reduced this man to a thief. He thought he's stealing that man's last biscuit. But he just sat there quietly, didn't say anything. And this trusted man took the biscuit bag of the other man over to his bunk and he opened his biscuit bag and he pulled his biscuit out of his bag and opened it, and the, the biscuit bag of the other man and he put his biscuit in there. And, and Shackleton realized this man was making the ultimate sacrifice at that time to somebody who was in worse shape than he was. And to this day, he, nobody knows who the man was. He, he said that act was so between him and God, so sacred, special, he said, to this day, I cannot tell who it was. We call that love, don't we? Love. That one man is loving his fellow man. 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter about love. It's hard to exhaust. There's so much in here. In the Bible, there are hundreds of commandments, but God narrows them down to what we know to be the Ten Commandments. But he narrows down the commandments even further to this thing of loving others as we do ourselves, loving God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and loving our neighbor as ourself. That's an expression. That's a phrase that you'll find roughly a half a dozen times in the Bible. We go back to Leviticus 19 and verse 18. God says, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's where we find it kicked off there. Love your neighbor as yourself. We get over to the New Testament. We find this golden nugget over in Galatians 5 verse 13. By love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And there is God summing up the whole Bible, the whole law, as it were, by loving, by loving. This is actually called the royal law. And we read that over in James 2 and verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor 
as thyself. It's the royal law. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. It's really the trademark of Christianity. And we find our Savior no less in John 13, 34 saying, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. He says, this new commandment I give you, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There was a well-known preacher down in the Bible Belt back in the, uh, the, the circuit riding days. He rode horse from town to town and was known in that region, and I forget his name there, but, but everybody knew his name. Well, one night he was traveling and his horse pulled up lane, and he walked for miles to this farmhouse and, and finally saw a light on, and he knocked on the door, and the sun was setting, and and he said, can I spend the night here? And, and the farmer said, you're a total stranger. I don't know you. I can't trust you. He said, no, I'm pastor so-and-so. And he said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. Really, I am. He said, well, let's test you. Let's, let's have you recite the Ten Commandments. And, of course, the preacher started saying the first commandment is this and the second commandment is that. And he went all the way through the Ten Commandments. And he said, and the Eleventh Commandment. And the farmer stopped him and he said, ha, now I know you're not that famous preacher. There's only 10 commandments. The preacher said, no, no, there's an 11th commandment. He quoted this passage behind me here. Christ says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. You could say there is an 11th commandment. That farmer recognized he was looking at that preacher. Now, it's easy to talk about love. It's easy to talk about loving the Lord. And, and you and I can say, oh, I love the Lord. Oh, I love the Lord. And most likely you do. It's, it's easy to love the Lord. If he were anywhere in the world today, we would do whatever we had to do to fly over there, to walk over there, to crawl over there, to swim over there, just to, to see him, to wash his feet, to adore him and worship him and, and tell him we love him. It's easy to love the Lord. There's no struggle there. We'd stand in line to love them. But the, the commandment is to love others as we love the Lord. And there's a definite connection there. In Mark 12 and verse 30 and 31, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Notice how they're coupled together there. Love the Lord with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. We find it summed up really in Romans 13:10 love worketh no ill to his neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law love is the fulfilling of the law that is exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has to say and for thousands of years now it has challenged people it has challenged Christians it has encouraged folks by the millions and so we're going to take a brief look at it here today in the next few moments. As we talk about a revival of love, we see, first of all, what I call this essential imperative. An essential imperative. There were Christian missionaries who went to Greenland, the, the big icy continent many years ago, to bring the gospel to the people of Greenland. And they were making no progress at all. No inroads, no way they could influence the people of Greenland until 
this smallpox epidemic came along and suddenly the, the, the Greenlanders were, were, were dropping like flies and, and they were prostrate in beds and, and needing help and, and attention and the Christian people went to work and they cared for them and, and they nursed them back to health and, and in some cases they buried the dead who had died of the smallpox and after the epidemic had passed the people of Greenland said you know we cared nothing about what you had to tell us before but we see something in you now. You, you have nursed us back to health. You have cared for us and, and grieved for us and buried our dead. And, and now we want you to tell us about your Jesus. You know, the old expression is true that people really don't care what we know until they know that we care. Isn't that the truth? And we can often tout about what we know and, and the fact we have the doctrines down pat. And, and I tout that sometimes erroneously. And, and you have as well that, well, you need what we know. They really don't care what we know until they know that we care. We see that this, this thing of love here is an essential imperative. And as we start in verse 1, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, big deal. You're just making noise. I read that and I wondered how many times I've spoken with the tongue of men or angels and done so without charity, preached without love. Is that possible to do? You know, I, I dread getting before the Lord one day at the judgment seat of Christ and, and finding out how many sermons have been preached that way. Paul talked about that here. You, you can wax eloquent. You can ring the bell. You can get up and preach the truth. But it's, if it's without love, he says here, it's like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. You know, again, we can tout the fact we know the truth. We have the doctrine. We understand the mysteries. Even the mystery of the New Testament church. Boy, I tell you, we have a lot of arsenal and a lot of weapons in our our, our, our quiver here. And, and we can tout that. But if we have the truth and we have without love, big deal. That's what he's saying here. And then he adds, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. You know, we can talk about the faith we've tried to exhibit here for the past 30 years and, and, and the things God has done by faith. But if we have faith without love, big deal. That's what the apostle is saying here. And then in verse 3, he really puts the, the cap on it. He says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I give everything away. And though I give my body to be burned, and many have down through the centuries, burned at the stake, martyrs for the faith. But if it's done without love, he says at the last part of verse number 3, It profiteth me nothing. Can you imagine somebody giving their life for a cause? And certainly that has happened down through the years. There have been Civil War soldiers who wanted to kill those Johnny Rebs or those Yankees. They've gone to war. They've killed and they've been killed. So much of it without love. It means nothing. You know, you can, you can enlist in the army and, and you can fight terrorism or in the days of old fight Germany or, or Japan and and uh, take up the, 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 the rifle and, and fight for a good cause. But if it's without love, and it's said over and over and over here, 
It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. You know, there's something more important than me just preaching. It's preaching in love. And there's something more important than the piano player just playing the piano. And that's doing it with love. There's something more important than a nursery worker working in the nursery. And that is doing it with love. There's something more important than the Sunday school teacher teaching or the ushering, uh, usher ushering, or, or the bus worker uh, going and picking up little children or the, the campus Bible study worker going up on campus and, 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 and working the campus ministry. It's doing it with love. Doing it with the heart of love. Now, Paul here is talking to a very carnal church. The church of Corinth was the, ch- the most carnal New Testament church in the, the New Testament. It's hard to believe it really was New Testament church. There was no doubt com- competition going on and stuff being done in a competitive manner. I'm a Paul, I'm a Apollos, I'm a Peter, oh, I'm a Jesus, and, you know, super spiritual there. And, and, and this kind of carnal behavior going on, and, 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 and honestly, we can get that way sometimes. If we don't do what we do in love, we can get even that competitiveness. We find over in the, the epistle to the Philippians, Paul's writing from a dungeon in Rome, the Mamertine prison, and he's saying there's one guy here who knows I can't get out and go door-to-door to door and bring the gospel to folks. And, and so he's really stepping it up, even to just outdo me. You say, that's pitiful. Well, that's our depraved nature, folks. And that's how we can operate, even in a spiritual sense, without love, acting spiritual. And that was the folks here at, at Corinth. And Paul is saying, so what? If you're doing what you're doing without love, so what? You're touting having gifts. And they were bragging on, speaking in tongues, and doing this and doing that. And, and really, they were operating in a loveless way. Loveless way. Can you relate to that? I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. It's a good way to burn out, by the way. You're trying to serve the Lord, and, and the heart's not right. The motive's not right. You're not, you're not operating by love, and it is a good way spiritually to burn out. Hold your finger here if you would, but turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We find the Apostle Paul here who labored more abundantly than them all. And quite honestly, he did. He was born late, you could say spiritually speaking, and he did some catching up in a marvelous way. And the the camera of heaven followed him because his exploits were so amazing spiritually. And I think when they give out rewards in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, if, if you're looking for Paul, look at the front of the line. That's where you'll find him getting rewarded. But how did he go through what he went through? Well, here in 2 Corinthians 11, he gives us a, a little snapshot of it his resume, how he suffered. In verse 23, he says, Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft or often. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. In other words, 39 stripes. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings or waiting often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. 
How did Paul endure such a load? So many setbacks, so many trials, so much tribulation, so much heartache. How could it be that he kept going? Well, he tells us how. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, he said, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Notice what it was that kept him going. He didn't burn out. Why? Love. It was the love of Christ that constrained him. Without love as the driving force, we will burn out. Without love as the driving force, it's all in vain. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What is our motivation and and what is it that drives us? What is it that drives me? Why do you attend church? Why do you serve the Lord? Why do you reach out to other people? Is it love? Is it done out of love? That is what this chapter is telling us here. Because only genuine love will endure. We see, first of all, that essential imperative of love. We see, secondly, that love is easily identified or the easy identification of love. It's easy to spot. It really is. The the trademark of Christianity is love, and it's easy to spot within a Christian. Many years ago, there was this three-day blizzard that went on in the greater Chicago land, and all the schools shut down. It was going into the weekend. Businesses just closed. The mail wasn't being delivered. It was a whiteout, and it just kept going on and on. And Sunday rolled around. All the churches canceled their services. But there was one little church in the heart of Chicago, and it didn't cancel its services. Most of the people were right in the neighborhood there, but there were some that the, the pastor just assumed that they wouldn't drive to church, they wouldn't come to church, and that's understandable. So as the blizzard was raging, there were folks walking across the street to come to church. And, and so when he's standing in the window and opening the door for him and getting them in right away into the warmth, and as he's standing there in the window looking, he sees a little figure bobbing down the sidewalk from quite a distance, and then comes down the block, and then comes closer, and he recognizes a little tyke that, that attends church all the time, but he lives, I mean, a couple miles away. And so he, he ran outside, he grabbed the little boy, and he brought him inside, and he brushed the snow off him. And, and uh, when the little boy uh, came to himself and got his breath, the preacher looked at him, and he said, Look, you, you didn't have to come all that way. Man, there's a blizzard out. The boy said, Oh, I had to come. He said, This is the one place that I feel loved. This is the one place that I feel loved. You know, love is, is easy to recognize. And, and we find there are some trademarks of it given us in these four verses beginning in verse 4 it says charity or love suffereth long and is kind charity envieth not charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly or inappropriately seeketh not her own is not easily provoked thinketh no evil rejoiceth not in iniquity but rejoiceth in the truth beareth all things believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Now, there are several attributes given to love here, and obviously you don't have enough time to look at all of them, but let's look at a few here. Some of the, the identification marks of love. First of all, it's kind. You find that in verse number 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Kind. There's a kindness to love. If we have love, we're going to be kind people. We're going to show kindness, even if it costs us something. And often it does cost us something. It costs us our time. 
maybe our treasure or our talent, to be kind to somebody. But if we love them, we will be kind to them. There was this elderly lady who was always going to the post office to pick up something. Just, she'd only buy a few stamps at a time, and she'd go home. And one day she was in line, and it was quite a long line that day. It was close to Christmas, and the line was nearly out to the sidewalk. And the elderly lady struck up a conversation with a young lady standing nearby. And they were chatting along, and finally the young lady said to the elderly, you, you know, what, what are you doing at the post office today, here to send off a package? And, and the old lady said, no, I'm just here to buy some stamps. And the young gal said, well, don't you know, there's a, a machine right over there. You don't have to stand in this line and, 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 and wait for for your chance to get up there, just go buy your stamps off the machine. The old gal looked down, kind of half embarrassed, and she said, well, I know about that machine over there. She said, but that machine over there doesn't ask me about my arthritis. You know, there's some people, and, and, and they're hurting, and they're lonely, and, and they're aching for some kindness. And if we remember that they have an ailment, and we ask them about it, or they've had a financial reversal, and and we ask them about it, or maybe some family member who is wayward. It, it means the world to them. If we just care about their home or whatever it might be. It's a busy world, folks. I understand there's, there's everybody's hustling and, and bustling and kind of running everyone else over. And, and our, our relationships are so superficial these days. So many people are out in public and they're looking down and they're on the Internet. Or even in our homes, we're on the World Wide Web. And, and, and we're just not even acknowledging other people. And certainly not, not showing kindness to them. It takes time. It takes time. I understand that. Love is kind. Love doesn't hurt other people. It's kind to other people. Love doesn't speak poorly of other people. It is not two-faced. Love is kind. Love puts... Others ahead of self. And, and we, we try and teach our children these very basic things. You know, play nice, share your toys, don't hit your, your, your playmate there. And, and, and we can try and drill that into them. And yet we can grow up and we can forget the most basic things. And we've, we can forget to be helpful and we can forget to be considerate. We often have our own agenda, don't we? We, gotta, we have to get this stuff done. And if, if we stop to show some kindness, it's going to inconvenience us. It's going to take our time. It's going to take some work, maybe. It's going to take some money. We're going to have to give up some things to show kindness. But, you know, think of what our Savior gave up to show us kindness. Giving up his, his, his place in heaven and, and the worship of angels and giving up so much to come and live amongst us and to be one of us. And to die for us. He gave up so much. Why? Kindness. You know, that's summed up in Titus 3 and verse 4. It says, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. The kindness and love of God our Savior toward us appeared. When Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for us. Now, <clears throat> showing kindness to some is, is going to be difficult. I understand that. We talk about WWJD. It's, it's easy to, you know, to, to wear a T-shirt that has it on it. What would Jesus do? But what would Jesus do? When it comes to kindness, he was always kind. We see that, first of all, one of the, the easy identification marks of, of love is kindness. But secondly, we find in verse 4 this thing of patience referred to. It mentions charity suffereth long. 
we would say it's long-suffering or patient. It it puts up with things. It, It suffers long with things. Life is very, very hectic. It's easy to be impatient. I'll never forget a little cartoon I saw years ago of Calvin and Hobbes, the little boy and his, his pet tiger or cat or whatever it was who talked. And, and Calvin is all up in arms as he's reading a, a package, a TV dinner, that says, microwave for three minutes. He's going, what? Who has that kind of time? That's us, isn't it? Microwave for three minutes. Who has that kind of time? That's the society in which we live, and that is the one that I can relate to. You know, I can... I can spot impatience in others because I'm impatient. Uh, That is not a strong suit with me. If you're intense, and there are people who are laid back, and and, uh, it's the the soul you have, really, but but with intensity comes impatience, comes irritation, comes frustration. Um, It's it's easy to get disgusted with people. It's it's easy to get offended uh, by people because people can get on your nerves, and, and we can get attitudes. I can get an attitude. We can get critical. I can get critical. I've been critical. And, and, and I can fail to show love. There's times my wife will tell you he's so ADHD, and, and, and he's just high octane all the time. He even grinds his teeth while he's sleeping, and that's me. That's me. And, and I'm the guy who would have probably struggled racing past the Good Samaritan instead of stopping to help him because you're, you're intense. And you fail to catch needs, you fail to catch folks who are hurting, and you bypass relationships quite often. Guilty. Guilty. And it's easy to do. It, you fail to be like the Lord. I fail to be like the Lord. The Lord never missed an opportunity to show love, did he? The, the, the Lord never missed an opportunity. If it was a, a widow who was grieving over a, a son who had died in Nain, he stops the funeral and he deals with her. If it's a woman taken in adultery, you've got all these loveless Pharisees ready to stone her to death, not the Lord. If it's a woman of Sychar that he meets at the well outside of Samaria, and she's been living with this guy and married to several other guys, he stops to help her. The apostles say, what are you doing talking to her? That would have been me. Let's eat. That really would have been me, okay? Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Notice in verse 7, it it mentions of love that it beareth all things. It puts up with so much. It it beareth all things. You know, Christian love is is not wearing a fish symbol on your bumper or or, uh, wearing a a five-pound cross around your neck or or carrying around a 10-pound Bible under your arm, I'm a Christian. Or, or quoting Scripture like a machine gun in a rapid fire. We say, I'm a Christian. No, you can have all that stuff down pat. Do we love? Do we love? Love is kind. Love is patient. We find, thirdly, love doesn't think the worst. Love doesn't just naturally... Okay, what do they mean by that? Or why would they do that? It doesn't think the worst. Notice in verse number 5, it says, Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. Why do we think the worst sometimes? It's a deficit of love. Deficit of love. 
That word thinketh there is interesting because the battle is fought and it's won in the mind. It, it really all starts in the mind. Somebody said, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Isn't that the truth? Let the mind of the master be the master of my mind, of my mind. Thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. What's the difference between sin and evil? You ever thought of that? You go, wow, both the same. Iniquity, transgression, you know, evil, sin, blah, blah, blah. Well, well, sin is the transgression of the law. And basically, it's, it's doing something wrong according to the Bible. And, and you, can, you can be viewing internet pornography. That's sin. The Bible condemns it. Uh, you can go get drunk. We've talked about that recently. That's sin. Maybe uh, you can covet something that somebody else has and, and uh, even steal it. That's sin. It's a sin to steal. We talk about that. But evil takes it to a new height, or should I say a new low. Evil is sin with the intent to harm. Evil is sin with the intent to harm. Now it's evil. And, and, and so when we think the worst, or we're suspicious, or, or we dislike someone, and, and even just think it, it's evil. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. There's evil in our heart. That's evil. Do we degrade people in our own minds? I mean, it just doesn't even leave the mind, but there it is. Sure, we're guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. I call that stinking thinking. And it shows, again, a deficit of love. You know, love, fourthly, and I've got to hurry. Love is faithful, and we find that in verse number 7. Notice it says, It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love is faithful. Love is faithful no matter what. We're going to stay faithful. Why? Because we love. Charles Spurgeon, that prince of preachers from the latter 1800s, didn't always preach before the thousands like we read about, but he actually started out as a little nobody preaching to not even dozens, just handfuls. But it didn't matter to him because one person's worth more than the whole world, right? And he loved people, and he loved helping them. And so love is faithful at any size. Love is faithful at any stage, no matter what the situation. Something else about love we find in verse 7. It says, beareth all things, believeth all things. Believeth all things. Maybe you have a marriage that, boy, it's hard to believe in right now. You wonder about it. Love will carry on. Maybe you're rearing children right now, and and, uh, you're beginning to wonder if you can continue doing this. But if you love, you can Love believeth all things in a home, in a business, in a church. It keeps on going, and and it believes that we can make it work, and we can work through struggles because we love, because we love. So when we're weak or when we're feeble or when we're uh, going through trials, we we keep trusting, we keep believing, we we still have hope. Notice in verse number 7, that's also mentioned there, hopeth all things. Even in in dire finances or, or sickness, or death, whatever it might be, we have hope. And really, the hope of eternity overcomes some really difficult circumstances. We know there's something better than this on the other side, so it, it bears the burden, and we continue on. Well, there's, there's a number of things we could talk about. We'll talk about them next time. But we find here, thirdly, not only the essential imperative and the easy identification, but, but finally, the extreme influence of love. The extreme influence of love. There was a boy who had a sister who 
was sick and needed a blood transfusion, probably would die if she didn't get it. That brother had overcome the same disease and was immune to it now and was also a perfect match and a donor for the blood transfusion. So the doctor came to the boy and said, your sister's going to die unless she gets this blood transfusion. You're the perfect match for her blood. Would you give her your blood? The boy hesitated. A little trip, his little lip kind of trembled and, and quivered and the doctor thought it was odd, but finally a smile, broke, a smile broke over the face of the boy and he said, sure, for my sis, I'll do it. And so they hooked them both up to the, the uh, tubes there and nothing was said, but the boy looked over and smiled at his weak, anemic sister and she weakly smiled back and the smile faded as the blood began to flow through the tube and he saw it and some, some minutes passed by and it was getting kind of close to the end of the transfusion. The boy looked up at the doctor and And he said, when am I going to die? When am I going to die? And suddenly the doctor understood why the boy had hesitated when asked to give his blood and realized that in his little heart and mind, he was making the ultimate sacrifice, or at least he thought so. The doctor said, you don't have to die. We're just giving her some of your blood. But that boy was willing to make that sacrifice. Why, love? Now, we can talk about great love or greater love, or, or even the, the greatest love. What is the greatest love, according to Christ? He said in John fifteen thirteen, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ did that when he died on the cross for us. A lot of folks are trying to work their way to heaven, taking communion, getting baptized, joining a church, doing good works, thinking that when they die, their good will outweigh their bad, and somehow God let them in. That's not how you get saved. You get saved by placing all your trust and all your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. In, in turning from sin, as the Bible calls repentance, and turning to Christ in what the Bible calls faith, and calling upon him and asking him to save you, you are born again spiritually, as Jesus Christ called it. But Christ said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It's a sacrificial love. You, you, can't, you can't break it. You can't beat it. And the model is Jesus Christ, and his love for us is, is unconditional. It's unconditional. You know, as I've studied love, it's been convicting to me because I'm so void of it at times. So void of it at times, especially as of late. This past Sunday, we had a Sunday school lesson, and, and uh, it brought up in the lesson Paul perhaps showing too much justice instead of mercy when it came to the situation with, with telling John Mark he couldn't come on the second missionary journey. I looked at that, and it kind of pricked my heart. And then in the morning service, I preached on the perfect father. And he's a loving father, isn't he? And that pricked my heart. And that night, the message was on loving the brethren regardless of whatever, and, and uh, God pricked my heart again. And after that, I was talking to somebody, and that subject of love came up again. I drove home thinking about it, and I've been thinking about it all week. And this chapter has been on my mind, and the Lord has smote my heart. And and I have said, God, forgive me for lacking in love. I, I ask you the same thing. Forgive me. Forgive me for lacking in love. I don't want to live and die loveless. An awful thing. I don't want to... I don't want to forfeit love for justice. We can win 
we can prove a righteous point, we can be just, but so what? So what? That's what Paul is saying here. So it's been on my mind all week. I just had to share it with you. Maybe you're fine. Um, I can't speak for you. But I, I do know for my life, I do know for me, I want a revival of love. A revival of love. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.